Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Hey, guys, this is John. I don't know if you've met him before, but uh, he's the guy who tears it up here usually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just wanted to actually ask John, actually his amp, this is a really sweet amp, by the way. Thank you. Can I have it? Nope. No, okay. You never know. It never hurts to ask. But uh, I noticed there's not even any numbers on here, so how do you know how loud you're even going to? Like there's one. By sound. There's two. Three. What does it go up to normally? Ten. Ten. It goes up to ten normally. What about your guitar? Same thing. No numbers. What if it went up to eleven? That'd be spinal tap. That would be spinal tap. Thank you. That is the intro to this message. You nailed it, buddy. Well, anybody who's seen the mockumentary This Is Spinal Tap thinks that's hilarious. Everybody else is like, that's not funny at all. How long is this guy going to go for today? It's the first 30 seconds and he's bombing. But I like this reference, crank it up to 11, because it's sort of like God's way of measuring things. We can fill our own cup as much as we want, and I'm referring to like the cup of life, filling it with everything that we can, but we never even come close to the brim. We might get, if we're lucky, we might make it like halfway up the cup, but when we walk close with God in our lives, He fills our cup to overflowing. He becomes more than enough. He cranks our amplifier to like 50 or 100. I I know you guys like it loud in here, but like 50 would be insane. But that's God. That's how he does things. Now, why do we want joy to be our focus over the next several weeks? Well, obviously, the entire world is coming out of this, how long has it been, like 16 months now? This roller coaster ride of restrictions, fear, confusion, frustration, and oftentimes what felt like chaos. 16 months, that's a long time. And for many people, it's going to be a long recovery in many ways. But the truth about real joy and having the kind of joy that comes from walking close with Jesus is that when we go through circumstances like the COVID situation, we're able to come out on the the other side of it remaining strong. It doesn't mean that you won't get tired at times or frustrated, but you will come out of these types of things with a peace that can only come from God himself. You and I cannot manufacture it within ourselves. People try to manufacture joy and happiness all the time. Heck, I've tried. Many people even have the word joy up on their living room wall. Some of you here this morning have the word joy stenciled on your your wall. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just know that having a word on your wall doesn't make it truth in your life. Some people think it's a choice. They say things like, choose to be happy today. Bob Marley, you guys know who Bob Marley is? He wrote that famous song, Don't Worry. Right? Well, what about when life sucks, Bob Marley? What about when the rug is pulled out from under your feet 
and your whole life feels like it's crashing down around you. Just choose to be happy. I can just imagine, if you're familiar with the story of Job, if Job's friends had told him, just, hey man, it's okay, he lost everything, just be happy. The Bible would have reported one or two of those friends missing some teeth due to Job's fist. Or, what if Bob Marley had showed up on the scene singing his Don't Worry, Be Happy song to Job? That would have been one strange Bible story. We want to focus the next weeks on joy because it's more than happiness. It's more than just an outlook or a perspective. It's something that can, as I said, only come from God. It can only come from someone outside of ourselves. And it's the Spirit of God Almighty Himself. He's the provider of real joy. Happiness is based on circumstances that we like. Joy can carry us through the most difficult or painful circumstances. It's a natural byproduct of walking close with Jesus and having a life surrendered to Him. And the Bible tells us that joy actually becomes our strength in difficult circumstances. It doesn't matter how happy you feel one moment when in the next the crap hits the fan. That sense of happiness will dry up and abandon you pretty quickly when something unexpectedly bad happens, but not joy. Joy of the Lord will remain when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're hurt, when you're in danger, when you're tired, when you're hungry, or if you're cheering for the Maple Leafs. Oh. Sorry, Pat, I know you're in here somewhere. (laughs) However bad things seem, joy comes out of walking close with Jesus, and it always produces the hope and the strength that we need to walk through the worst circumstances. Nehemiah says this in chapter 8, verse 10. He says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He and a large group of Israelites had just spent 52 painstaking days reconstructing the wall around Jerusalem from the rubble that was left after it it had been completely demolished. They faced all kinds of adversity, discouragement, and threats. But the Lord provided the strength that they needed to get the job done. Then Paul, he said this in his letter to the Philippians, which, by the way, is known as the joy book of the Bible. The crazy thing about that is that he wrote it while he was in prison. The joy book. Chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice prison. Rejoice prison. It doesn't really make sense. But then he goes on a few verses later to explain his position. It has nothing to do with his external circumstances, but everything to do with what is taking place in his heart and flowing from there. In verses 12 and 13, he goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all things who gives me strength. He had Jesus close. And this is what we want for you this summer. We want you to come out of this whole COVID situation not feeling like you're barely hanging on by a thread. We don't want you to come out feeling defeated or discouraged. 
We want you to be able to come out strong, with real strength. And that can only come from the joy of having a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Not phony, wishful thinking, look on the bright side of life type nonsense. Not that it's bad to look on the bright side. It's not what I'm saying. But this morning's message is entitled, Remember, It's Not About You. Do you want to get the wheels turning again? Do you want to get out of the rut that you've been stuck in? Do you want to be able to walk around with your head held high in real confidence, not pretending behind some mask? Masks. Is it July 1st yet? Okay, I won't get sidetracked by the masks. Of course you want to carry yourself with real confidence. Who would want to stay bogged down by all the burdens of discouragement, uncertainty, confusion, and the fear that so often plague people after going through a time like this? The tough thing, though, is if you truly, if this is truly what you want, you need to recognize a really important truth. It's not about you. And I'll unpack that as we go here this morning. Many of you guys have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, or the newer version of it, which is called What on Earth Am I Here For? And it's written by uh, uh, Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California. The very first line of the book, of the entire book, is probably my favorite. And I tell anybody who's about to start reading it, if you can get past the first line, then you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Can anyone remember what the first line is? It's not about you. Wow, actually, many of you remember that. It's perfect. Probably, probably because it kind of hits you the same way it hit me. I'm like, whoa, what a way to start a book there. <laughs> I wonder if Rick had the slightest inclination that when he wrote that first line, his book would sell over 32 million copies. <laughs> I just want to read the first paragraph out of that book for you this morning. He says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams or ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. He uses Colossians 1 verse 16 in the message version as his qualifying scripture for this paragraph. And in it, Paul says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. It's not about you. Easy to say. But our natural bend as human beings is to make everything all about us. And what happens when we make life all about us is we begin a process of self-implosion. Until a person is ready to move from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, permanent immaturities will move in and take hold. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, just turn on any reality TV show. Anyone here ever seen a reality TV show? Really, nobody? Okay, like really three? I know it's embarrassing to admit, but but you'll find all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life 
But in almost no time, you'll be able to pick out the ones who are trying the hardest to cover up their insecurities. That's what immaturity is. I know a lot of it is added for dramatic effect, but at the same time, there's a reason why it's called reality TV. That's what immaturity boils down to, being stuck in an area and being so stuck that you'll do anything and everything in your power to keep it hidden from the world. This hiding process might present itself in different ways. One example that I can think of is grown adults who are quick to explode into a full-on tantrum, like a toddler who didn't get his or her way. The other day, our, our youngest boy, Lincoln, this kid lives for oatmeal. I guess that is kind of funny. I've been living with him for three years, so to me it's kind of a, a normal thing, but he lives for oatmeal. And he loves frozen blueberries in his oatmeal. And he threw a huge tantrum the other day because Kelly dared to mix the blueberries in. She tried to speak logic to him. Sweetie, mommy mix them in to cool off the hot oatmeal so you don't burn your mouth. She tried a few different angles to try and get the point across, but to no avail. He just kept screaming that he didn't want the blueberries mixed into his oatmeal, as if we didn't hear him the first five times or six times or whatever it was, or as if all of a sudden we didn't understand the English language anymore. Let me tell you, that situation ended with him eating his oatmeal with the blueberries mixed in. But, if you're a parent, you probably can relate to this. There's times where you just kind of look at your spouse and hope that the kid can't see you and you're just both trying not to laugh. But, but then you got to turn and be like, mm. that was one of those situations, the ridiculousness of it. But as I was preparing this message later that day, I thought, there are some grown adults who act like you. I've acted like you. And don't get me wrong, I believe living out a life of Christian faith is a lifelong process of allowing God to deal with our immaturities and insecurities and grow us into mature and confident people. We all have these things in our past that need to be worked out, or even in our current. They need to be worked out, that's okay. But when we stay self-focused, as if we're the center of the universe, these immaturities don't just sort of stick around and stay the same. They grow perpetually worse. If there's no growth in healthy maturity and, and, and walking towards maturity, uh, th these things just sort of grow in our lives. Think about it. A self-centered person might overindulge in certain activities like, for example, food or alcohol. And if there's no growth, or, sorry, growth in healthy maturity, self-indulgence will lead to addiction. It just gets worse. You lose control of the ability to control your appetites. Another example, unchecked lust will lead to adultery in one way or another. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. He said, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed, uh, committed adultery with her in his heart. Unchecked or unchallenged thoughts will lead to, at the very least, 
committing adultery in the heart, which is still a big deal in God's eyes. Another one, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will lead to resentment, which will lead to bitterness. Have you ever met a bitter person before? I mean completely consumed by it. You know, you can tell. They can't see any good in the world. All they can focus on is the negative about every other person and every circumstance. Bitter people complain about everything because nothing is ever good enough for them. They're always the victim because everything is all about them. They aren't actually even able to focus on anyone but themselves because the bitterness has absolutely, as I said, consumed them. And there's lots of reasons why people become bitter, but unforgiveness is definitely one that will go in that direction. When immaturity caused by self-centeredness reigns in your life, it leads to poor teamwork. Everyone around you suffers. You rob them of of the potential good that can come out of doing life together. And by teamwork, I simply just mean like your relationships, your family relationships, your work relationships, your friendships. But let's take actual sports teams into consideration. Look at any team that has a hot shot or two on it. And I don't mean like that they're, they're talented or they're skilled. I mean they, they have like an arrogant tone about them. They, they walk around with this arrogant attitude of I'm the best and what I say goes. The teams will either will do one of two things. They'll either perform extremely poorly or the players won't actually end up having any fun in the sport that they grew up loving because the self-centeredness and the immaturity of a few spreads negativity to everybody else on the team. This is why I'm admiring the Montreal Canadiens in their playoff bid right now. That was hard for me to admit, but I, I'm admiring them Because they have no superstars on the team, except for their goalie. But even him, you can see the way he carries himself. He's not a showboat. He's extremely talented. You don't see him lashing out at his teammates if they make a mistake. They're all just a bunch of pretty good players who are all playing their hearts out for each other. And they're beating some amazing teams. And now they're on their way to the Stanley Cup Final, which is the hardest trophy in sports to win. It's pretty fun to watch. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Anybody who wants to make the universe all about them will eventually dwindle themselves down to the one who is overpowered. Life will overtake them because they'll have pushed anyone capable of helping them back up away. If all I look out for is number one, then when hard times come, it'll be me, myself, and I who are there to try to get me out of it. So self-centeredness, making life about you. We've covered just a snippet of what making life all about you leads to, and it's nothing spectacular. But, If you get to the place of realizing that this life is not about you, that's when life can truly begin. When we begin to understand that life begins and ends around God, and by the way, Brenda, I I loved that prayer earlier. Let's make it about him. 
If you can get to that place, that's when life can truly begin. You'll have the opportunity to experience real life and life to the fullest. Jesus said in Luke 17, 33, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. What he's saying there is, sure, make life about you. You're going to implode. Make life about God and others, and you'll find that life is more than worth living. So a few things that we find when we move toward a God and others-centered life, we find real purpose. Real purpose breathes real excitement and, and energy into life. And anyone who has experienced God-given purpose knows what I'm talking about. Life becomes exciting. It becomes an adventure. You never know what's around the next corner or what God's going to do. And the cool thing about God's purpose for your life is that it isn't just one thing. He doesn't have just one purpose for your life and then, and then you're done. It's not like he has like a career in mind for you or something. He wants to be a part of that, of course. It's much bigger than that, though. If you'll allow him to, he'll pour purpose into every detail you can think of. Every little nook and cranny. Your relationships, your finances, yes, your career. Parenting, marriage, ministry. Everything becomes filled with intentionality and meaning because God's fingerprints are all over your life. He's the one who made you. And he's the, he's, he's the one who knows what he made you for. When we move toward a God, another centered life, another thing we find is real value. Real value. And I'm not sure we'll be fully in touch with how much God values each one of us this side of heaven, but I do know one thing. And to quote C.S. Lewis, when Christ died, he died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only man in the world or woman in the world. Imagine that. Imagine if you were the only person on this planet. Jesus still would have died for you. He's not off there in some distant universe. He's interested in you. He put absolute value on you. He paid for you with his own blood. You are valuable to him. The more in touch you're able to get with how much he values you, the more you're actually able to value others. Because what happens is as we walk closely with Jesus, we start to see people through his eyes. It's crazy. It always comes back to him, though. Wow, I'm on the last point already. It's crazy. Last thing I want to bring up when we move towards God and other, and uh, a God and other centered life, we find real life. You guys know what it's like to sort of just let life happen to you. All of a sudden, days turn into weeks, turn into months. It's kind of like, ugh. You get up each day, another day. That's not what God wants for you. God's realm and the human condition are, are in such contrast of each other, it's continually blowing my mind. For example, the Bible tells us that the more we live lives of generosity, the more we will get back. The more we give of ourselves in service to God and others, the more we will be filled up. 
The more we pour out our lives for the sake and cause of Jesus Christ, the more life we seem to relish in. And I'm talking before eternity. We have that to look forward to. But Jesus said this in John 10.10. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Life here and now to the full. With, of course, hope of eternity in heaven. That should fill us with joy. And as we discussed, joy only makes us stronger. So I'd like to finish with this video. Many of you guys have seen it before, but I think it caps what we've talked about nicely because it's based on a man from the Bible who exemplifies making things all about himself. But later, as we know, after a painful process of coming to the end of himself, he ended up living a life that was all about Jesus and spread his gospel to as many as he could. His name is Peter. At one point, Jesus had told his disciples, the Son of Man will be handed over to sinners to be tortured and killed. And Peter's response? Surely this will not happen to you, Lord. I'll be there to protect you. Imagine saying that to God, who cannot tell a lie. Every single word he says is true. He's basically saying, God, I know you just said that, but that's not true. And you may not be strong enough to defend yourself, God, from these sinners, so don't worry, I'll protect you. Me, Peter, I'll protect you. He was making it all about his macho ego at that point. And there were a few other times where he got caught up in the self-centered realm, just like each and every one of us here. But let's just check out this video and we'll finish up. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. (laughs) This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. 
that is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so, me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. You know, when, when God says it's always about me, it almost sounds like he's being self-centered. But he's not. He's not. I want you to do something. I want you to... Just in your mind, think about that line. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. And just, instead of the name Peter, put your name there. Peter went from making it all about him in the macho sense to making it all about him and saying, I'll have to work the rest of my life to pay for what I did. It's all on my shoulders to make up for it. Either way, he was still making it all about him. How often do we act like Peter? God, I know you said you want me to conduct myself in my family or at work in this way, but if we could just do this one little thing my way, it'll probably be better in the long run, so I'm just going to do it. Or, Lord, I messed up again. It seems like I'm never going to stop sinning against you. I just can't stop. Don't forgive me this time, okay? I deserve for you to be mad at me. That's what we do. Thank God for his patience with us. Because each and every one of us has wrestled with the same self-focus that Peter did in one way or another. And so I want to leave you guys this morning with something that you can take home. It's, it's a list. It'd be in your bulletin that you got or your uh, out, outline. 
It's a list of seven applicable ways that you can be God and others oriented. And you can start practicing them the moment you leave this auditorium. I'll run, them, I'll, I'll run through them quickly with you. On your list, you'll find, number one, if you don't have one, by the way, then they'll probably be available out at the doors wherever the ushers were, um, if you want one. Number one, pray with someone you've never prayed with before. Number two, give to someone in need. And there will be kind of details within each one. Give to someone in need. Number three, serve someone. Number four, encourage someone who is hurting. Number five, post something about your faith. Right? Some of you guys, some of you guys are on social media. Post something about your faith. Number six, invite someone to church. And number seven, pray for those outside your normal circle. Now, these things may seem like no-brainers to you, but watch what happens if you take it seriously. My money is on that you'll begin to realize how many opportunities you overlook to be more like, or to be more God and others oriented because you're too busy doing your own thing. At least, that's what this list is doing for me. So, crank up the joy this week and start by assessing where you can make things about others and about God. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to pray together. And I'd like to start by offering a prayer to anybody who's never received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And you want to begin a relationship with him today. That's what it's all about. Uh, The Christian faith is not about being religious or doing the right or wrong things. It's about a relationship with God himself. That's what he desires from you. And he leaves the choice 100% in your hands. So if that's something you'd like to do today, you'd like to take that step in faith, then you can pray along quietly in your heart with me. You can say something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm making a decision today. I'm taking a step. I'm choosing to believe that you are who these people are saying you are. You are who the Bible says you are. That you are God in the flesh and that you came to this earth and that you died for my wrongs and my sins. So that, Lord, now when I choose to receive you, I can be forgiven for those sins. I am being forgiven for those sins, past, present, and future. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. Help me to begin a journey and a process of loving myself in an unselfish way, loving others, but most importantly, loving you. Because my life has been so void of joy. And Lord, that's something that I sense I need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. In your name I pray, amen. Now let's pray for everyone in this room, everybody watching online. Lord Jesus, help us to crank up the joy. It's not something that we can just decide to do. It's a process of actively seeking you and, Lord, being intentional about our time and and being obedient and surrendering our lives to you. So prompt us in those areas, Lord, where we've been kind of holding things to ourselves, holding on to things for ourselves and not giving them to you. Because, God, we do want to be strong in this world. We want to make a difference in this world, and the only way we can is if we have your strength. 
So we trust, Lord, that you're going to continue the work that you began in our hearts. And we just pray, Lord, that one little step at a time, the joy will begin turning up in our hearts because of you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.